For the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. This has been our fall vision series. We've been going through the, the purpose and the reason the Church on the Rock exists. And we've looked at simple practices to engage or to sync up with the life of Church on the Rock, to sync your discipleship up with what we are doing here at church. Our mission is to connect people, to connect our community to God, to people, to purpose, and to hope. There's four very simple ways, and you can follow along with me by just repeating the number with me. Say one. one. Go to church regularly. Two, Two. live in community. Three, Three. serve asically. And four, Four. give generously. Those things may sound basic or they may seem like, why, you spent a whole month talking about that? But the reason that we talk about those things is because it sets the groundwork for Jesus to do something in your life. It's very simple simple to the idea of, you know what, I reserve sweets till the weekend. Or I only eat cake at night instead of for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Because you're set foundation for health in your life. Amen? Amen. Sorry. We're amen? Amen. Come on, guys. I'm going to preach better the more expressive and exciting that you are. Amen? Amen. Oh, yes. I can feel it. Okay, it's going to be a good day. There's this verse in Ephesians chapter 5 that says, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you life. I love this idea of being alert to the things that God is doing in your life. This video demonstrated a very basic principle that I think is very prevalent of our culture right now, which is the distraction of our culture. How much of our life do we go through just distracted from the things that are happening in our life? How much of our life do we go through distracted from the things that God is doing in our life? So today is a pretty simple sermon. We're just going to recap all the things that we just did the last month in our Fall Vision series. But really what we're talking about today is the attentive disciple. The person that's in tune to the things that God is doing in your life, around you, and through you. Amen? I think it's needed because distractions, it's at an all-time high, I believe, in our culture. Distractions, the ways to numb your mind and soul are at an all-time high. And our ability to be present, to really be right here in the moment to the things that are happening right in front of you are at an all-time low. How many people love stats? One, two people. My wife, yeah, okay, it's growing. There's more. There's like five of them for people who like stats right now. Okay, I'm going to share a couple stats to just kind of explain what I'm talking about. You know, Time Magazine did a study a few years ago kind of researching this idea of the distraction of the current cultural moment, okay? 77% of the millennial age people that took this test and survey, they responded that when nothing, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone my attention, the very first thing I do is reach for my phone. I think this is proven pretty easily. I mean, when's the last time that any of us engaged in a conversation with a stranger of our own choice? Like, you didn't just bump into them, they didn't bring you your food, they didn't check you out, you said thank you, you know? Like, if you're in a situation that's public, how many of us are just doing this? A few, uh, this was probably about a year ago, my, one of my daughters was taking ballet lessons. And so the place that they had us do this was they would send all the kids in here, shut the door. The parents were in this very small kind of doctor-esque kind of waiting room. And I went in with the intention of trying to make some new friends. 
I was like, there's going to be some dads there. They all live around me. We all have girls, and they're dancing and stuff. This would be a cool time to make friends. I kid you not, for like six, seven, eight weeks, I tried to start a conversation with about 10 different people, but I could not make eye contact because as soon as the door shut, as soon as the door, kids were dropped off, they pulled out their phone. At some point, I just started playing Clash of Clans and really decked out my base, and it looks great now. Not as good as Gavin's, but it still looks pretty good. The current average American looks at screens on an average of seven hours and four minutes every single day. Every single day, the average American spends seven hours and four minutes looking at a screen. And this stat probably is not even remotely close because it does not track double screen watching. I'm talking about when your wife wants to watch a movie and you're like, I'll watch the movie because I love you, but I'm going to scroll Facebook Marketplace at the same time. You know what I'm talking about. Like I can't watch, not scroll my phone while also watching a movie and that stat would go up because you're actually double screen watching in that moment. Almost 80% of the same young people mentioned before said they often use device on TV. This means on average that we are giving almost 50 hours a week to screens, to TV, to computer, or to our cell phones. Statistically, 44% of our awake hours are spent looking at a screen. One of the worst notifications I get every single week is Sunday, when Apple tells me how much of my life I wasted on my phone. (laughs) It's the worst notification I get every single week of like, oh no, that's terrible. Did you know we can't drive without touching and looking at our phones? Every single year, 1.6 million car accidents are linked to cell phone use while driving. That means that one in four accidents is caused by a text message or a phone. You are six times more likely to cause an accident while texting and driving than driving intoxicated. The stat has risen to be a distracted driver versus an intoxicated driver. But what really brings this home to me in this moment, because I'm kind of a competitive person, I'm not outwardly that way, but internally I'm very competitive, is that we are currently losing to goldfish. I'll explain this, what I mean. Okay, I'm going to date myself for just a second, but anybody else remember vines? Oh yeah, a couple other old people in the room, okay. Six seconds, it's like the weird old cousin to TikTok, okay? It's the thing that got TikTok going. Basically, it was this idea of watching a short-form content to hook your brain, to watch it for very short, to get you scrolling to the next thing and the next thing. They're the precursor to TikTok. And now, since TikTok, everything else has followed. There's YouTube reels and Instagram reels and Facebook stories. The other day, I was scrolling on Amazon trying to look for something, and now Amazon has reels, like, what is Amazon doing? with Like, here's the five things that you need for fall. The five candles, the five cozy blankets. And some of you are like, send me that link. <laughs> Everything is catered to the short attention span to get us to stay, because they know that they can't keep us for long-form entertainment. Less movies are being watched. Less comedians are being watched in their whole routine. Everything's being broken up into short span form entertainment. In 2000, the tracked average, average attention span of people was 12 seconds long. By 2013, after the lease of the iPhone and cell phones were put in, that attention span shrunk by four seconds to eight seconds long. If you've ever had to fast forward the B-roll in a movie, Like, I don't need to see the mountains. I don't need to see the fields. Where's the talking? Just fast forward to that. 
That's what we're talking about. If you're stressed out by a video that's more than one minute long, as 50% of people are, this is what we're talking about. What all of this means is goldfish, whose average attention span is nine seconds long. So statistically, the average American can hold on if you don't grab me within the first eight seconds, but we have a better chance of grabbing a goldfish than we do a person. This is what I'm trying to say today, guys. And it all comes kind of down to this, is that the bottom line is that we are distracted. We're distracted. Would you just stand with me as we just read our guiding text this morning? Give honor to the scripture. We're going to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Luke chapter 10, verses 38. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? I tell her to come, tell her to come and help me. The Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Church, can we just pray. Let's invite your presence right now into this service. Thank you, God, that you are already here. Thank you, God, that you're already ministering. But Lord, in this moment, we intentionally give our attention to you. Every worry, every concern, everything that might be distracting us, God, from receiving from you, we quiet that now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Thank you. This is a tried and true story, and I hate the bad rap that Martha gets, but it brings home this concept of the attentive disciple so well this morning. The distraction freest in disciple versus the person that's busy doing. The three words, if you go back through these, just these short few verses here, and you look at the things that are stressing Martha out, that you can find three words that really define her. She's distracted, she's worried, and she's upset. Every single day, we have this same decision, though, that Martha and Mary faced. I remember one time uh, I jumped onto the metro to go into the city, and I grabbed this, this really small pamphlet, this really small book off the shelf, and it was just about salvation. It's kind of a story that they were telling you, and it's just talking about the, the interaction as soon as that you enter into this relationship with Jesus, what that looks like. And it looks like this, is that every single morning that you get this promise that Jesus says, hey, if you will wake up, that you will come and meet me, I will meet with you. Every single morning, if you wake up and you come and you find me, I'll spend time with you. If you would come and you would light a candle, pull out your Bible, just pray for a few minutes with me, a few moments, I will reciprocate the attention that you are spending with me and I will meet you. And the story goes on where this young man who gave his life to the Lord, he he woke up and he spent time with Jesus and every morning he would go downstairs, but over time... 
his workload increased. Over time, the distraction to sleep in became more. Over time, he'd stay up late, and time after time, he'd see the candle where Jesus was sitting, but he would just walk on by and walk out the door. Every single morning, do you realize that you have the ability to spend time with an attentive God? Sometimes we take that for granted. Abby was singing a little bit ago, they're saying that God loved us first. That's why we were able to love. Did you know that love is just attention? It's focused attention. Love at its simplest form is just a, a being spending time giving themselves to you. The beginning of love is attention. The reason that we're able to love God is because we are reciprocating the t- attention that God spent and gave to us. And every single morning, every single day, we have this choice of, will I reciprocate the attention towards God? Will I be attentive to the master? Will I spend time with the person, the deity that is spending time with me? But that's really difficult if you've been a person for any amount of time. How many people, like, you just have excessive amounts of time on your hand. You're like, I don't know what to do with myself. Perfect. Serve 101 is next week, and we can get you signed up for a volunteer. (laughs) I'm so glad that you put your hand up. (sighs) Right into my trap. (laughs) How many people are stressed out because of the list of things that they did not accomplish last week and that pulled over into the next week? A lot more hands. All of us are busy. All of us don't have enough time in the week to do the things that we're supposed to do or want to do. But being an attentive disciple means that you prioritize or just keep the main thing the main thing. This is why distraction is so bad. Distraction is so detrimental because it causes us to underemphasize the important things and to overemphasize the non-essential things. This is why when you're riding an airplane, they tell you, get your oxygen masks on first. Don't help women, don't help children, just get it on first. Take care of that main thing first, and then you can do these other things. But how we're built with our eight-second attention span is to focus on all the things that are non-essential. Not necessarily bad things. Martha was not doing a bad thing. Do you realize that Martha wasn't living her life out of sin? You realize that she invited these people into her home. The expectation culturally and of them was that she would provide and be hospitable to them. That she would open up her house and provide for the master, provide for the guests that she has. Amy and I once went. We had a couple friends, newly married. We went to their house. They just got married, moved in, and everything like that. We sat down. Food was prepared. It was on the table. The husband gets up. He walks to the kitchen, shuffles around, opens a drawer, pulls out a fork, shuts the drawer, walks back with a fork, and sits down. Don't worry about it, man. I'll figure this whole soup thing out with my hands. Like, I don't need, like, don't, don't, don't worry about us. It's fine. We'll figure it out. When you go someplace, invited in, there's an expectation that there will be hospitality involved in that process. How good does it feel when you go into somebody's house and they just said, hey, can I get you something to drink? Can I take care of you? Bathroom's over a table. We're just so thankful that you're here. One of the most uh, comforting things that my wife and me were talking about is going to a friend's house and they're just sitting on the couch and the wife gets up and throws her a blanket. They're just thinking through and taking care of the people, the guests that you have. Martha was doing this. 
Martha was saying, I have the master in my house. I have this famous rabbi in my house. I'm going to take care of him. She wasn't doing a wrong thing. But she was distracted by Mary. She was upset and worried about the process and the work that she had to be done. It wasn't the essential thing. It wasn't the best thing. Distraction is so detrimental to us because it causes us to underemphasize the important things and overemphasize non-essential things. What I really don't want you to get out of this today is biblical authority to just, authority to just go forsake all of your responsibilities. Like, honey, I can't mow, I can't cook tonight. Kids, go figure out food. I'm sitting at the master's feet. Like, that's not the point of the scripture here today, right? We all have things that we have to do. Martha was doing a good thing. She just wasn't doing the best thing. The work of the attentive disciples to keep the main thing the main thing. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, he has this in the, this book, is this called The Screwtape Letters. And it's this um, satire almost that C.S. Lewis wrote of an older experienced demon instructing and helping his young, his nephew, how to be a demon. And so he just spins how to pull a Christian away from discipleship. And, he, and this older demon writes to his younger demon, he tells him, whatever they do, speaking of people, whatever they do with their bodies, they, uh, whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It's funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Satan doesn't need you to do horrendous sins to dis distract you from your discipleship to Jesus. He doesn't need you to cheat on your wife, abuse your family, go steal and fraud, and do the worst kinds of sins that you can think of. He just needs to dislocate Jesus from the center of your life. He just needs to distract you enough that you're not going to spend your morning time with him. He just needs to distract you enough that when you get angry, you don't say, Lord, what are you doing in this moment? He just needs you to just focus on yourself, focus on your work, focus on your family first, focus on your career, focus on your Clash of Clans base, focus on the reels, focus on anything else than focusing on God first. Distraction is so detrimental because it causes us to underemphasize the important things in life and to overemphasize the non-essential things in life. Your attention to Jesus is, a, is an essential part of your discipleship to Jesus. Your unrelenting attention towards the God that is showering you with attention is, a non, is an essential part of your discipleship, of your journey, of being a Christian, of being that little Christ, of being that Christ follower, of being that person that's trying to become like Jesus. And we like to try to do it any other way than that simple way of just staying in relationship with him. We like to go to self-help books or to exercise or to uh, 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 um, what's those practices, those mental practices, the apps that help you focus, right? We like to find God in any other way than But Mary found the best thing and it will not be taken away from her. Sometimes we feel like life is so demanding, so busy that we don't actually say this, but we believe it with our actions that I'm too busy to spend time with God. I'm too busy. But that's the thing that will never be taken away from you. Your career, you'll eventually retire. Your money will eventually run out. Your kids will eventually grow up and leave the house. Eventually, we will pass on from this physical life. 
But there is one thing, the essential thing, that will not be taken away from you as the attentive disciple that is focusing in and pouring in and building that relationship with Jesus. If you're here today, that is good preaching. I need to get a response. If you're here today, the most important thing that you can be doing is focusing in on Jesus. Now that I got you all riled up and clapping, can I be really honest with you? This week I was in my office writing a sermon on attention and not distraction. And attentive course of Googling this and writing this and researching this, uh, I found a little thing for writers called a distraction-free tablet. It's a tablet. It's a thing that basically is a glorified electronic pad that replaces your paper and pen. that helps you focus. And so in the course of studying for this, I found this tablet. In the course of finding this tablet, I started researching this and pulling up more tabs and watching videos. And at some point, I looked up and said, has it been like an hour and a half that I distracted by a distraction-free tablet while writing a sermon about being distraction-free and attentive to Jesus? If you've ever been distracted, just put your hand up in the air. If you've ever been distracted from a loved one, put your other hand up in the air and clap that other hand. Yeah. How do we do this? How do we implement this attentiveness towards Jesus? How do we do that? It's really easy to say, be a Mary, don't be a Martha, but you know what? The bills still have to be paid. The alarm clock's still going off. The kids are still asking for breakfast. How do we do this? If only we had four simple practices to institute into our life. If only we had four simple things to do that would help us be attentive towards God. And luckily for you, we've been in a series about studying four practices about being a disciple towards Jesus. And so just really quick, some of you are new here. Some of you haven't caught all these. I just want to recap those four things really quick and give you just one thought on each one. The very first thing that you could do to help your soul, to help your relationship stay focused on God is to just simply attend church regularly. Listen, I know that some of you have experienced things in church that have hurt you that have caused you to leave the church, that have caused you to question what faith looks like in the modern church. Some of you are hearing me say, get into church regularly, and you're hearing, there's another guy that just wants more butts and seats. Leave our church and go to another church. That's how much I believe in these things. You can to our church if you don't believe me, if you think I have ulterior motives. Just get into a regular rhythm and practice of going to church. Because it is one of the base works in your life that you can build a foundation on of following Jesus. After the first time we preach this, we do this thing called coffee and chat with our senior saints. And we all hang out. We eat more donuts than they do. I talk more than they do. It's really fun for me. And I hope it's fun for them. But one of the first things we did is we just went around the table and just shared, culturally, this is so different now. Nobody has the expectation of going to church now. Go talk to your 30-year-old friends or 30-year-old neighbor. None of them have feel bad or guilty about not going to church. But 30, 40 years ago, it was still seen culturally as that if you don't go to church, that's, you should feel guilty or shamed about it. And so I just asked them, what has that happened? What has that done in your life when you went to church? And almost all of them shared stories in their life where they had become disenchanted with Jesus, fallen away from following the Christianity, that never stopped this practice of showing up at church because it was culturally expected of them. 
And every single one of them shared about how when they continually gathered regularly, the love for God was replaced. If they had not continued to regularly show up, they very well may have never began to follow Jesus again. When you begin to implement such a simple thing as this as saying, will we go to church? Instead, replace that with, we go to church. It changes everything. When you say, will I go to church? What you're really saying is that someday I will not go to church. And when you say, we are a family that goes to church, what you're saying is, this is an essential part of our life, is that we go to church. Because our goal is to connect you to God. And one of the ways that we can do that, you know, it's not everything we do here, but this building was built. The staff that we have here, the volunteers, the programs, everything we have here is working to connect our community with the singular purpose of connecting people to God. The whole mission of this place is to connect our community to God. And so when you prioritize that, it naturally is just going to help you. Go to church regularly, live in community. When you begin to invite people into your life, when you begin to choose to go to a small group, have these people over every week, study the Bible, pray with them, you are the people to know you and giving your attention to them. Manfred Spitzer, he says this in Digital Dementia, he says, when you use the computer, you outsource your mental activity. On average, people spend 44% of their awake time looking at screens. What he's saying here is that on average, the more that we spend on our phone, the less energy we have to give to other people. We can fall into this trap of I'm too tired or too busy. But really, that's the place that you get more life flow back into your life. I'm not talking about um, extroverted versus introverted. I get, I get that whole thing, introverts. I'm married to the uh, the the queen of introverts most beautiful introvert I've ever met but something happens when you get into a room full of people and the Bible uh, says this where you can begin to express and receive and give God's love it manifests itself in the presence of believers I just hear another real story with you this past week at small group uh, it was just crazy we had extra, like five extra kids there. There was over 16 kids. There was, this was the first time I think that all of us have been able to gather since the beginning of the year, uh, beginning of the small group season, and it was just going crazy. There's popcorn flying, babies crying, kids melting down. This kid showing off their new birthday hamster. This kid got, got cut by a mystery nail somewhere in the basement. Like it was just all going on, and honestly, it wasn't very fun. It was more like stressful of like. Is that my kid crying? Is that your kid crying? Are you going to get that kid? Am I going to get that kid? Who's going to stop the blood? I've seen the hamster. Thank you. I don't need to see it again. (laughs) But on the way home, Amy and I were talking because something happened is that we're going through the questions and the book we're reading and all this stuff. And at one point, one question got thrown out. And just something in that moment happened. And people started sharing and responding and talking And there is a level of vulnerability and openness that in the course of almost two years that we've gathered with this group, we had not yet achieved. And Amy and I walked away saying, the blood and the hamsters and the crying and the popcorn and all of that stuff was worth it to get to that moment.
of being known and knowing the other people around us. So when you live in community, you begin to become attentive to the people around you. When you serve enthusiastically, you're able to become attentive to the needs of the people around you. It's interesting in Ephesians that Paul gives all this list of ways for women to uh, interact their roles with husbands, but he really gives just one thing to the husbands. Love your wife like you love yourself. If you just focus on your wife like you focus on you, you're going to have a great marriage. Like if you can just love her with the same attention that you give to yourself, you're going to be great. Husband of the year. And this is the thing about sin is that sin just focuses us in on ourselves. Struggle with pornography, you struggle with addiction, you struggle with your mouth and slandering people, go serve. Get busy serving enthusiastically because it begins to position you to put somebody else's needs, become attentive to the needs of somebody else and push them up and push you down. The mantra of the disciples of Jesus was, we poured ourselves out like a drink offering for you. We poured our life out like a drink offering for you. Our cultural moment says, you are the most important person in your life. If your wife isn't helping you become the person you need to become, leave her. When you do the things that you want and helping you to become the person you need to be, leave the job. Our culture says the individual is the highest person, entity in your life. But when you begin to serve the needs of people around you, you put yourself and make yourself aware of the needs in your community, the needs of people around you, and you begin to squash self down. You begin to die to yourself and you bear your cross and you follow Jesus. Are you following me, church, today? And lastly, this is the one that everybody is just so excited about and loves it when I talk about finances, is give generously. Did you know that there, I I don't know if there's another practice as basic or as powerful as keeping your attention on Jesus as tithe. Did you know that Jesus spoke uh, almost more than anything else in his ministry about finances and money management? The reason is because money has a way of just gripping us, controlling us, and manipulating us to think that money is the most important thing in our lives. It has a way of stealing your focus from God, from others, from anybody, and just singularly focusing on money. And something happens when you begin to give your money to the Lord that it breaks the chain, it breaks the hold, it breaks the authority that money has over your life and begins to open you up to the fullness that the Lord has for you. It begins to replace the Lordship in your life and put God in that center seat instead of money or finances. This is a tricky one for people. I'm a paid Christian professional. Okay, like, I, like I'm the person that gets paid to do Christianity really well. So a lot of you can point, and especially if you've had church where you say, well, you're, you have biased agenda. Go give your money to another church. Go start practicing Tyson. I hope you give it here. We really like keeping the lights on, and I, you know, we like staff and stuff like that. But if you don't trust me, don't trust this church, give your money to Compassion International. Get, go, go start tithing to some missionary that we support and just send it directly to them and see if the Lord does not bless you.
See if you do not encounter a deeper, richer discipleship with Jesus by simply just hearing, listening, and obeying him. I can't put it any more simple. That is discipleship. The attentive disciple listens to God, hears what he says, and then obeys it. So gather regularly, live in community, serve enthusiastically, and give generously. A few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching about the word of God, and he's teaching about the, the message of Jesus, and he talks about it in this parable of a farmer going out and throwing seed onto the ground. And he throws it onto the rocky ground. He throws it onto the soil that has the shallow. He throws it into the, the soil that has weeds, and he throws it into the fertile ground. And let me just read to you this. This is Luke chapter 8, verse 14. It says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. So they never grow into maturity. Another way to say this is that there's a group of people that hear the message of Jesus, but they're too distracted by life to grow spiritually. They will hear the message of Jesus and receive it but that message will be displaced by the cares and the worries and the distractions of the world. You will never reach full maturity in your discipleship process if you keep being distracted away from the master. I just want to tell you one more story, read one more quote and read to you one more hymn before we finish today. Would you turn to your neighbor and just say, story, quote, hymn. Go ahead. Okay. A lot of you know and have heard me talk about my dog, Marv. We're praying for her salvation, but I don't think she's going to get there. She's just <laughs> the worst sometimes, but she's a great family dog. My dog... If she was a person, I would report her for being a stalker. <laughs> She's obsessed with me. Will you be laying on the couch for hours, you know, praying and meditating on the Lord, not watching The Office or whatever, and we could be laying there for hours, and as soon as I sit up, as soon as a foot touches the ground, she's like, are we going someplace? Where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? If I put on my shoes, where are we going? What are we doing? If I open the fridge, there she is. Being attentive to the Lord does not mean that you hermit yourself away and just stop living life. Being attentive to the Lord. The attentive disciple says, I am focused on the Lord at all times, in all seasons, in all ways. Being attentive to the Lord means we're attentive to him as we are to our phone. Look at this. Research shows that students loved or needed their phones the more that they were distracted by them. The reason why is that smartphones occupy uh, in our lives was called privileged attentional space. That means that when you're in conversation and you hear somebody say your name, Josh, you're like, what? Somebody talking about me? Because you give privileged attentional space to your name and to your phone. And so they recognize that if the phone was simply on somebody's desk in the same room, they were more distracted by it than if it was shut off in a drawer left in the car someplace. Being focused on Jesus, being an attentive disciple is saying, I'm going to give that center of my brain, that attention to the Lord. So when you're getting frustrated and angry or upset or worrying, you say, God, what are you doing in this moment? What's happening? 
It means going about the normal things in your life and just continually looking and saying, are we getting up? Are we moving? Are we eating? Are we going? Are we doing something else? And then just following him from there. It really simply means just giving your attention to the Lord. Would you stand with me as we just read? This is an old hymn, but I think it just summarizes so well the attentive disciple. It says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There is light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The second verse says, His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. The things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Church on the Rock, we exist to connect our community to God, to people, to purpose, and to hope. Four very simple ways that you can begin to implementing practices into your life to become that attentive disciple, to recognizing the things that God is doing in your life, the hard things, the happy things, the good things, the frustrating things. Do you know that God's working all of those things? The way, very simply, is just to say we're a family that will go to church every Sunday. It's to sign up for a small group, to invite, hey, will you mentor me? Will you help me become a better Christian? Hey, would you guys, can we get coffee every Saturday morning and just pray for each other? It's to sign up to come to Serve 101 in the second week of November, to sign up and to say, I'm not serving yet, but I'd like to start serving somewhere here. Or to begin to commit to tithe. 10%, 1%, 10%, 1%, 50 bucks a month. I'm going to begin this practice in my life. It's not hard. Jesus is here. He turns his attention to us every single day. But every single day, we have that choice. Will I turn towards him? Will I be the attentive disciple that gives that attention back to him?